Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Alan Tapp, a member of the Montreal Institute for Learning Algorithms. Alan, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so tell me about the uh, Institute. What's what's the whole goal of the Institute? Is it just to study learning algorithms or to develop new ones, or what's the goal? Well, I think that it, it, it is easier to understand that the topic is about uh, advancing artificial intelligence, but uh, the main drive in advancing artificial intelligence was the, the study of machine learning and learning algorithms. So this is how the, the, the title of the Institute came about. And those are, we are researchers in uh, University of Montreal and McGill, and there's uh, a lot of collaboration. And, and very soon we're going to get our, our own uh, building in, in Montreal. And the funding has been uh, very generous, and uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, interest in Montreal. So this is, this is great, actually. So why, um, why is this an area of study? What in particular fascinates you about artificial intelligence and machine learning? Well, I started doing uh, something else, actually. Uh, I was interested when I was a student, but uh, I did uh, the first 20 years of my research career doing more uh, theory, like uh, cryptography, uh, theory of computation, quantum computing, and things like that. And a few years ago, uh, I just realized that uh, uh, artificial intelligence is going to be so important that um, that was my opportunity to to move into that field that I was always interested in. 
and, and now I'm fully committed uh, with lots of students and uh, I'm, I'm quite happy about my decision to be to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Do you, do you feel like, uh, I mean, you probably get asked this a lot, you know, do you, do you feel like AI will mean doomsday for the human race or do you, how do you see it playing out in the far future? Do we work with AI? Are we ruled by AI? What do you think the role will be? Well, the, the, the reason it's called the singularity when people talk about uh, the moment where uh, we cross that level where computers are becoming as intelligent or even more intelligent than human is because it's very hard to see beyond that point what's going to happen. So, so of course, it's difficult to make those predictions. But uh, uh, I would not be studying artificial intelligence if, if uh, I thought that it would mean the, the end of the world. Uh, that being said, uh, I like the fact that some people are taking that seriously and worried and, and, and looking into the future just to make sure that those things would, would not happen. So. Um, but there is there is a lot of concern people might have about the advance of artificial intelligence, and and right now uh, the the doomsday scenario where the computer would take control and annihilate uh, the human race is definitely very very far away on on my list of concern uh, for many reasons. One of them is that I don't think this is likely, and the other one is that we're I mean we're not there. Uh, it, it's gonna we need to improve artificial intelligence a little bit before uh, that that danger became uh, becomes apparent. Yeah, it seems like machines are starting to get better than people in very narrow tasks. You know, playing chess, playing Go, video games, maybe uh, you know, stocking shelves, that kind of thing. But there's no general intelligence that anyone has seen yet. Am I right? Yes, you're definitely right. But uh, that's the only thing missing. Uh, it's very very hard for me to imagine a narrow task where if you give me the funding, uh, why do I need funding? Well, if it is a narrow task and I want the computer to be better than human, uh, in many cases, uh, what I need is a lot of training examples uh, where the system can learn uh, how to behave. But if you give me those training examples and if the task is narrow, well, it's hard for me to imagine uh, uh, an example where uh, artificial intelligence would not be able to uh, to win the game or, or to to do the task or uh, so uh, right. concrete example uh, like if you think about uh, somebody uh, making the analysis of uh, x-rays for example well we know that if you give enough example to the system the system can learn to do that uh, so so that's uh, but the the general intelligence this this uh, this artificial scientist or this artificial philosopher that really can talk about anything and uh, that's that's far away in some sense because we don't know what's what's missing to go there. What uh, you, know, you know, I've heard a lot of AI people say, "Oh, you need a lot of data. You need enough data." How do you know how much data you need for any given application? How do you know how much is enough? Are there any ballpark examples? Like, let's say I want to uh, identify a picture of a cat. You know, no matter what I see, I want a machine to do it. How do you know how many uh, pictures of cats or other things it needs to be able to do that with a certain degree of accuracy? That's very, very difficult. Uh, th this is so dependent on the task, and the task can be so different from one another. And also, there's lots of scenario where uh, this is difficult because you can leverage data that was meant for something else. So uh, the, the best example would be the following. Uh, you have uh, millions of pictures. Uh, this is very standard, and you can train the system to recognize a 1,000 objects. 
And so this is a training task that has a huge amount of data. But this is all related to images. And if you train your system to do that with a huge number of examples, then you can leverage what the system has learned to attack another problem where you have much fewer examples. So this is why this is very difficult to, uh, to know how much data you need, because uh, sometimes data which is unrelated to your problem can be useful. Oh, what's an example of that? How would unrelated data help you? To, would it show you just what not to consider a cat, for instance, or how would that I'm work? I'm going to give you a boring example. So the, the, the example I was having is that you, you, you train the system to recognize a thousand. Uh, this is a standard a training set that we have. There is a thousand uh, type of object or, or you know, animals and things like that that you might recognize. And so uh, in that case, we have the training, which means that in all those images, we know what to look for. It is, it is part of the training data. But imagine that now uh, you have uh, a new category that was not there, and you only have a few examples. You just have five images, for example, uh, uh, in, order to, in order to train. Well, what you can do is that you can train the system on, on those thousand uh, of, of classification uh, cases, and then uh, uh, add the, the new category with only a few, uh, only a few examples. I, I've heard of systems where you, know, you give a machine training data and you tell it what to look for. But I've also heard of systems where you're not doing that. You're not really supervising the learning. How, does, how do both methods work? And how can you teach a computer something without supervising its learning and telling it, quote, unquote, right from wrong? Well, the, there is always some type of supervision that is hidden in the system. Uh, but uh, the, the clear case is when uh, you do classification. So. Uh, you have uh, a lot of data, uh, it can be financial, it could be uh, about images or sound or text and, and or translation. You have a lot of data and you have an uh, example uh, where you have the right answer. And so um, the system will learn to mimic, uh, to, to, to find the right answer based on those examples. And what is called unsupervised learning, uh, well, there's all sorts of things there. Uh, so, for example, you might want to uh, take your data and build some kind of clusters uh, in order to see what's going on. And uh, the system can learn those clusters in a very natural way. Uh, uh, but uh, also, unsupervised learning was the basis of uh, the, the beginning of the revolution of deep learning because some systems were just trained to uh, learn a, a compact representation of the data. And so in that case, the data would be images, but with no label, just millions of images. And the system would just be trained to learn a representation of those images. And it turns out that doing these things can be very useful. Well, how can, you know, how can the system uh, learn anything from unlabeled images? You know, can so, you, I, I'm, you know, I don't want you to give secret sauce, but I mean, like, how can so you do that's that? A good, that's a good question, because uh, uh, the system cannot learn without having supervision. So in the case of learning a representation, the supervision is given because the system is trying to compress the information in such a way that it can compress it. And when it un uncompress it, when it builds up the, the, the image again, uh, it will look as much as possible as the original image. And that's the signal. If the job is not well done, uh, uh, then it means that the system will not be able to compress and then reconstruct the image. Uh, the image will be bad and the system will get a bad signal. But if, on the contrary, uh, the system is able to compress the image 
and then when it comes back, it is very, very close to the original, then it's a good signal. So it is, in some sense, uh, learning with, uh, with a goal. The goal is to compress the image without losing the information. But it is unsupervised because uh, th this is not like a real goal, like, you know, to have a representation of the image. This is not like a classified image. But once you do these things, you can use this, this representation to solve other problems. Have you seen machines um, doing unusual things that you never expected within a certain set of parameters or goals? You know, I've heard, uh, for instance, Microsoft was having machines talk to each other and they came up with their own language that no one could decipher. I mean, have you seen any of that emergent behavior in the systems you worked on? No, I've never seen that, and, and I've never heard of that. Uh, I mean, those mm -hmm. examples, when you look into the detail, they, 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 this is not really true. But uh, in the sense that, um, of course, I mean, if you if you train a deep uh, a deep network and you look at the at the structure inside of it, well, you don't know what's going on. But it's always like that. This is not something surprising. Uh, uh, but uh, there's another thing is uh, uh, have I been surprised by the fact that it is possible to do things uh, um, that were not possible before with just very simple technology and and this is happening all the time I'm always surprised uh, I made a prediction uh, a few times uh, about uh, how much time it would we would need to solve some problems and uh, very often I've been extremely surprised to see that, uh, yeah, we're there. Uh, so one of the examples is that something very, people talk a lot about that. So there was a new new thing in artificial intelligence and deep learning. It is called those uh, generative adversarial models. So this is an idea where you train a system to compete with each other in order to solve a task. And uh, one, of, one of the first idea that, that was brought up with that is that you train a system to create fake, fake data, fake images, for example, to be concrete, fake images, okay? But how do you yeah. say, how do you train the system to build fake images? Uh, how do you say, yeah, that's a good job? Because then you need to know, you need to be able to recognize what is the, so you don't know where to start. So basically they train two systems. One system is trying to create fake images with the right distribution, let's say fake uh, bedrooms uh, uh, pictures, for example. That's a specific example people were, were working on. And so the system is trying to, to build fake bedroom, but how does it get better? Well, there's another system who's trying to make the difference between a real picture of a bedroom and one that was created by the fake system. And both of them, they train together one against the other, and so uh, the one that is trying to uh, to find out is it a real one or, or a bad one is getting better, but the other one is also getting better at, at proposing fake uh, fake bedroom. And so, well, that was a paper uh, in 2016, and uh, the system was very impressive because at the end it was able to to produce fake images of bedroom, trade on maybe 200,000 real images, and and those were new images; they were not in the set and they were created by the imagination of the system. But they were not very good. Uh, when you were looking at the details, they looked like, you know, like uh, a dream or uh, somebody taking drug, like it was really, really weird. They were not uh, of good quality in terms of uh, being realistic. But I, it was impressive. And when I've seen that, I thought, yeah, I mean, there's no way they can they can solve a real problem with that. There's no way they can, uh, right. uh, with the current technology, do something with that. But then the year after, NVIDIA was able to 
uh, create uh, fake celebrities uh, using the same technique, oh. but pushing it to the limit. And the fake celebrities they're producing with their algorithm, they, they look great. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, wow. I was extremely surprised that, uh, no, it was not uh, a, a new step in the technology that was missing. It was just you know, doing it the right way with the, the, the right training set, the right parameter and everything. And, and, and it is possible to do these things. And I'm very often surprised by what we can do. Well, what are, what are some of the most useful applications or upcoming applications of AI you've seen where you were like, wow, that'd be great if it would work or that's really cool. You know, what are you fascinated by lately? Well, um, anything you want to do that is specific, you can do. So, um, whatever you want. I mean, uh, for example, I know that it will be possible to uh, have a computer that will uh, replace uh, uh, doctors. And so uh, since doctors are extremely expensive uh, and that uh, the need of people is very important, well, that's great. But a uh, computer will be able to help uh, lawyers and provide uh, uh, help to people on websites using natural languages so that they can Right. They don't have to pay uh, a huge amount of money uh, that they would lose uh, their case, but maybe they can interact with a chatbot that will, uh, at the end, give them the information that they need. Or uh, the fact that, for example, it is possible uh, with a camera to re recognize what is the action that is performed by someone uh, on the video in real time. Uh, uh, but I mean, it, it is it is the list. The list is very long. Uh, right now, it is possible, for example. This is not so useful, but it is possible to create uh, fake videos from uh, from the, the 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 sound recording. So the example was was made with Barack Obama. They, you can with their system, you can take any uh, sound uh, where there is a recording of Barack Obama speaking, and mm -hmm. the system is going to produce a video of Barack Obama giving that speech using the the, the standard form that he was uh, doing those uh, those discussions when he was at the White House uh, publicly in front of, uh, of the camera. And, and so it's possible to create fake, uh, fake videos and, and fake images. And so this is, this is quite impressive what's going on right now. This is quite impressive. And why, it seems like all of a sudden the past two years is the AI is everywhere. But you know, for like the 20, 30 years before that, it just seemed like a pipe dream. Like what, what has changed recently or seems to have changed recently where AI now suddenly has had its resurgence. Yes. So for the for for 20 years, uh, machine learning was very very useful. Okay, and they were able to train some small neural network to do very interesting things. And so the company they were really using that a lot. Like Google was using that a lot, uh, Facebook and everything. It was extremely useful, but it was not really what we call artificial intelligence because what they were doing, like if you type a few words, a few words, and then you get a web page, it doesn't look like really that this is something that is artificial intelligence. And and what happened is that we we always knew that neural network uh, were they were powerful enough to do anything, like like any programming languages. So neural network are powerful. We know that from scratch from the beginning but we were not able to train big ones. And it kind of makes sense that if you're trying to solve a difficult problem, you might need a complicated program. And if you're using a, a neural network, well, you might need a big, deep neural network. And nobody was able to train big, deep neural networks, and now we can. And that's a big deal. 
that's a big deal. So now translation on Google Translate, it's done by those big neural networks. Uh, uh, image recognition and things like that is done by those big networks. And even things like uh, uh, um, question answering and, and all sorts of stuff now are using these techniques also. Well, why why are people able to train deeper neural networks now? What stopped them before? So it, it, it is a little bit technical, but uh, the, the algorithm that is used to train neural network, uh, it is surprisingly simple. Uh, it, is, it is basically trying to, to, to make so there is like a, a few thousand or a few hundred thousand parameters, and if you choose them correctly, the system will, will will do the job. But you have no clue how to choose them correctly. That's the big deal. And so you want the system to learn all those parameters by itself. And a very, very simple idea works very well. Just pick one of them, let's say, at random, and you try to tweak it a little bit, and then you 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 try thousands of examples to see you know is it better or is it worse and along those idea came the back propagation algorithm which makes that very efficient but the problem is that if the network is very big if you tweak one of the parameters it's kind of have a huge impact on on everything else and it's you just lose track of uh, what is a good choice what is a bad choice and and the system was not converging to anything useful and and they they managed to uh, to address this issue and and now uh, and 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 several ideas to be co uh, combined and and now it is possible to train those big networks but but what is interesting is that before that nobody was able to use a, a powerful computer to do uh, machine learning or AI because anyway the, the network we were training were quite small but uh, the computer uh, increased in performance and now they are very powerful. And when uh, deep learning uh, appeared, when they were first able to, to train those big networks, well, then they were having those GPU, those computers to help them, and a huge amount of data that was collected by those companies. And so uh, when deep learning arrived, the data was there, the computer power was there. So this is why this is a very rapid growth uh, with this tool, because everything else was aligned to help AI. The only thing missing was the deep learning part. Well, what, yeah. Let's, uh, for, in terms of terminology, what is artificial intelligence versus machine learning versus deep learning versus? I know I've heard like five or six different expressions, but I'm not sure what each one means versus another. Yeah. So uh, uh, artificial intelligence is the big family of of, of uh, any algorithm that is able to solve uh, a, a problem that requires intelligence. And this is a little bit ill-defined, but this is not a problem. Uh, and it was divided in subfields. And one of them was boring. It was called machine learning. And machine learning was really trying to extract some statistics on data to, to be able to predict some kind of an outcome. So for example, you would have the data from uh, the, the bank information of a, of a client. And now you're trying to predict if he will pay or not his loan. And those statistical techniques, uh, they were working pretty well. And uh, those techniques, they were called machine learning because the system was learning to solve the problem by looking at examples. And then machine learning became more powerful. And then uh, we got neural networks that were more powerful. And then deep learning uh, was just the fact that we can use very big and deep neural networks. And so all of this is machine learning. It's machine learning. But now, Machine learning is actually the thing that solves everything else. And so uh, deep learning is taking almost 
everything uh, uh, by surprise. I mean, uh, people working in natural language processing, people working in vision, people working in translation, people working in all those fields of artificial intelligence, now they're just using these tools. Is there a, a magic number of uh, you know neurons in a neural network or layers or levels whereby you suddenly get much better results? Uh, it is, uh, I, I would say it is continuous, but uh, when they were able to get bigger network, they, they went from uh, they, they went from maybe 100 or 1,000, 2,000 neurons to millions of neurons. So uh, when they were able to increase, it, it was a big step. It was not just a little bit. It was a, they were able to really to increase by a lot. So the network might have been a depth of three. Now they might have a depth of 100. Uh, uh, and so uh, now we're getting closer to the brain in some sense. I mean, now we can compare the network to the brain. I mean, before that, when you have 400 neurons, and then 200,000 connection. I mean, how, how can that compare to uh, 80 billion neuron in the brain? But uh, if you actually have uh, uh, millions of neurons, uh, then you can start to make, uh, to compare with the brain. Uh, and, 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 and actually, for example, vision, uh, our capacity to re recognize objects is using a lot of brain power. This is, this is very consuming for the brain. This, this, task of recognizing object and, and I'm not talking about the the eye level intelligence here just really the basic fact that you recognize somebody you know that uh, you see movement you see danger you see object color things like that and and this is this is a large chunk of the of the brain I don't know if it is five percent uh, or more I it, it really depends on how you define things but this is significant but now we can do that with one single computer and so if it is 5% of the brain vision, and now we can do that with one GPU and one computer, uh, does it mean that with 20 computers we will be able to, to, to do all the, the human intelligence? I don't know. Hmm. Okay. What, what are um, a couple of things that you think are on the horizon for AI you know, in the next maybe two to five years that uh, you're looking to see you know, come out and be commercially available? Better, better chatbot, better uh, system that would have uh, question answering, dialogue, and so a system that you would go, uh, instead of going to uh, Wikipedia to learn something about uh, a topic, you would go to uh, an advisor. And this advisor, you would ask specific question and you would get specific answer. And that would be interactive. Uh, I'm not claiming that they will, they will be uh, indistinguishable from humans, far from it. And, and that's not even the goal. You, you don't want them to look human. You want them to be efficient, give you the right answer, help you to, 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 to get what, what you want to know. And so uh, I think that this is going to be impressive, what we can do with those systems that would actually uh, help people resolve their problem, uh, not by having to read uh, all the documentation, but just by asking the question and giving feedback and giving more feedback and, and things like that. And, and there's, a, a, there's thousands of applications for that, and I think this is going to be uh, surprising. But, but that's also going to be a pain. Uh, like uh, the first system uh, on the phone that were automatic, like press one if you want that, press two if you want that. That was a pain in some sense, because people, right. they, they really prefer to talk to someone. But it's, yep. it stops to be a pain when you realize that that system is always answer when you call it. 
and, and the human asks you to wait for two hours sometimes. And so, uh, uh, so those systems are not going to be, uh, at the beginning, better than human, but they're going to be much more available and they will be much cheaper. Yeah, that's why they're being used right now to the frustration of millions of people. So hopefully they'll get a lot better. Is it really annoying right now? They're going to get better. And I think that uh, uh, in five years, uh, many people will say, you know, in the end, this is a good thing. This is not a pain. I like the fact that the system is available. I like the fact that it's not expensive. And so my only concern really is about uh, the fact that everything is changing very rapidly, the technology changing rapidly. And so the job market has to adjust itself quite rapidly also. And, uh, and this, requires, uh, this requires some thinking by government, by institution, by companies. And, uh, um, and this, might, uh, this might be difficult in some sense. But uh, in terms of technology, we're going to see very great things. Mm. Well, very good. Um, last question or so. What's uh, any particular projects you're working on at uh, the Institute? You know, what's your particular research or project that you're in the middle of right now? Well, I'm working on, on, on several things, but uh, one project that I like uh, very much right now is uh, uh, those, those neural networks, they are kind of static uh, in the sense that uh, this is an architecture that has learned and, and once it is built, they don't look like database where you can add stuff and, and remove stuff and things like that. And so I'm working on a, a, a memory, a concept of a, of a memory that would be based on, on neural network. And so the system would, uh, would get a, some kind of a stimuli or a question, and then uh, uh, the system would find the, the appropriate document. It's, it's like information retrieval in some sense, but more, uh, more done with neural network. And I'm also interested in question answering the the, the, the basic thing I was talking about before this, this the fact that you can ask the computer to give you the answer instead of, of reading everything. Well, very good, Alan. So how can uh, interested listeners get in touch with the Institute or with you to ask questions or you know, suggest collaborations, that kind of thing? So uh, uh, my webpage is, is easy to find and my, my email address and everything is there so people can get in touch with me. Also, some of the uh, the videos I made and things like that are available. And, and Mila is a is a is a big institution. Uh, and again, it, it can be found in Montreal. There's a, a website. Uh, but this is an institution that involves a researcher. And so uh, right now uh, the field is extremely popular. It means that we receive lots of emails and and, and questions and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, uh, 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 but I think people should, I mean, if somebody is interested in getting in touch with a, with a scientist, you can send an email and, and very often we take the time to, uh, to reply when, well, when it's convenient. And what's the website for people to go to? Uh, I don't know the, by heart the, 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 the web address, but uh, this is uh, the uh, Mila in Montreal. It, it is, it, like I said, if you Google it, it is, it is, not, hard to, uh, it is not hard to find. You cannot miss yeah, if people Google the Montreal Institute for Learning Algorithms, Mila, exactly. then they'll find it. Okay. Oh yeah, they'll find it, and uh, yeah, and it, it's growing. Uh, in September, we're gonna we're gonna get our own building, and uh, the group is is large. Uh, interaction with companies, with university, we try to do training. We try to also to reach out to people, to educate, to talk about the the concern we have on the impact of society, but also to the 
the, the, the possibility to actually do good things for humanity with these things. So uh, we're quite involved. Well, very good. Alan, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. All right, hold on a second. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.